Hi, and welcome to this new episode of the AP Talks podcast. I'm Malika Crawford, journalist and watch expert. And today, in honor of its 30th anniversary, we will be talking about the Royal Oak Offshore with my two guests, François-Henri Benamias, CEO of Audemars Piguet, and Raphael Balestra, Heritage and Archives Manager. Having defied established conventions since 1993, we will discuss how the Royal Oak Offshore Collection entered culture and opened up the conversation about watches to unexpected audiences by experimenting with size, materials, and also with collaborations and limited editions. So let's get started. Okay, here we are. We're ready for Offshore 30th anniversary. I've got you both here, so I'm going to use you while I can. Uh, I think I want to start by setting the scene. So we're 1993. Let's think about the world in 1993. The horological landscape, a little bit different to the uh, offshore, especially size-wise. But I also want to say that this was supposed to be the 20th anniversary of Royal Oak, but you guys were a year late. What happened? I was not here to tell, so I... <laughs> he was not even born. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> and to be fair, you weren't with the company till 94, right? Yes. Yeah. So I wasn't even there. So we, we don't know what we, happened? Yeah, we kind of guess what happened. Okay. The idea of the offshore, yeah. when it's on paper, it's very nice. But then there were some technical issues that needed to be adjusted. Mm. Notably, the waterproofness of 100 meters. Okay. That was one of the challenge. And that's why it came a bit delayed. Okay, but it made a splash for sure at Basel, right? I've heard some stories. I've heard some people that were there on the, on the <laughs> AP booth in Basel in 93 that were saying that, yeah, quite mixed, mixed reaction. reactions. Yeah. Classical people that said, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. This is ugly. It's too big. It won't ever sell. And a lot of people that arrived and said, we heard you had a big chrono. Mm. Okay, and Genta hated it. Apparently, the legend has it yeah. that he came to complain to the, the AP booth and said, what did you do to my watch? To my baby, uh, not my watch. Yeah. My baby, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was personal, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So AP presents this 42 millimeter stainless steel exposed rubber gasket, rubber on the crown mm -hmm. pushes, and it makes a splash. But it's a 50-50 reaction. How long do we think did it take for people to really warm up to this? I would say five to six years. Okay. And actually, in some markets, it was a no-go. No-go. And it was thanks to some markets that adopted it that it became. Italy was one of the first. Of course. United States and Germany. 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 It's Italy and Germany who launched actually the watch. Not even the US. Really? No, 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 because it was not successful yet. Okay. No, no, not at the beginning. Not in the beginning. But in the beginning, it is a success that is slowly going because it is a few hundred watches per year, which by the time of the Royal Oak was already very good, but yeah. by the time of the offshore is not so crazy. But I mean, I feel you could draw some parallels to the Royal Oak, right? Comes in with a splash. It's kind of a, a big... Mixed reaction. Yes. Mixed reaction. Mixed reaction. Yeah. But there is one thing that we can also differentiate the two of them, yeah. is that the Royal Oak is born from a design, and the offshore is born with a name. 
That's, wow. that was... Wow, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was poetic, Raphael. <laughs> because actually we have to go back in the 80s where we have, at the time, AP was working with retailers in the different countries, distributors, that were also very powerful also in the terms of propositions that they would do. And there was the German market with Dirke Wettengel that was apparently insisting with an idea of a watch. And we found a note in the archives where Stephen Urquhart said, uh, after insisting, uh, Mr. Wettengel is um, saying that we should do a watch with this idea of offshore cigarettes. And then we found out, yeah, but what is that? And next to it was an advertising of the cigarette boats. That was the motor sport boats of the brand uh, cigarette. No, but it's funny, it's funny to understand that many times in the history of Audemars Piguet, the creativity of the launch of watches didn't come from within. That came from outside. Mm. And through my tenure as a CEO for the last 10 years, I also got ideas from outside. Which is great when you think about it because you make people participate actually to the success story. Yeah, I mean, I think today what I really want to talk about is the interlink between this watch and the wider cultural zeitgeist, right? Because it's the perfect kind of example of how the watch space opened up to a much bigger audience. But okay, now I'm going to fast forward a bit to 99 because I need to know where this relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger came from. What's the origin story of Arnold? Very simple. Arnold came to our headquarters in 1998 with Pierangelo Bottinelli, who is one of our board members, because they used to know each other for 20 plus years. And Pierre made a serious point of bringing Arnold to us. And he asked me at that time to be in charge of the visit and be with Arnold. And we connected very quickly. And a few months later, because he wanted to buy watches, so we are in Los Angeles. We are close to his office. We're having lunch. So it's Arnold, his business partner, and I. We've got two security people because we've got watches. And he's supposed to choose from these watches to buy them. And at some point I say, but what are we doing here? <laughs> okay, you're going to buy watches, but okay, fine. Nothing special. Are you shooting a movie right now? He say, yes, I'm shooting End of Days. And I say, is there any chance we could make a watch quickly that you could potentially wear in the movie and we make a special edition and we'll raise money for your foundation. And he said, I love this. <laughs> and we changed the whole thing. So wow. I flew back to Switzerland. Yeah. We came up with a design and we flew back to Los Angeles with Georges-Jean Emenon, who was the CEO then, to be on the movie set. Wow. But that's not the best part. Because now we say, how do we launch a watch like this? What do we say to people? Why did we connect with you on that movie? And we were in his movie trailer and we could have put on for recording the session. He spoke for three minutes. We could have said print, and that was a press release. He got everything perfect. Wow. But the funny thing is, that's how we launched the watch, because then the watch was in the movie, mm. barely. But then <laughs> the movie premiere, New York City, 1999, snow, uh -uh. and we have to go to his premiere. So we are piggybagging on his premiere. So they've got a huge press, everything is Arnold Schwarzenegger. We invite 150 of our clients. Oh. But after the movie, they have to go to a different location, walking to do the charity auction, the mm. first one, to raise money and auction of the watch worn in the movie. Oh, wow. That's so cool. The movie goes. Yeah. It's okay. 
then I'm scared about losing people. Yeah. Okay, that they would say, I'm not going to go to the charity event. But everybody goes there, yeah. and Arnold is late. But he's not late by two hours, he's late by 15 minutes. Okay. But it's November, and so people are eh, so they start to, eh, and we are not the Audemars Piguet that we are now. Right. So people say, but why is he late? He should be on time. Eh? And then Arnold shows up, he changed the mood of the room in two seconds. To fast forward, we had an auctioneer from Christie's. Arnold told him, I'll do it. <laughs> he ran the auction. The watch was retailing for 13,600 US dollars at that time. Yeah. We sold the watch for 80,000 at the auction. Pretty good. And there were two lousy pictures framed, okay, of him wearing the watch in the movie yeah. to prove, <laughs> in case you hadn't seen it, that the watch was in the movie. And it was so funny during the auction that he said, I'm going to sign the posters, we're going to buy them as well from you. Ugly pictures. <laughs> we raised another 20,000, so we raised 100,000 from the auction alone yeah. in 1999. Then we launched the watch, which was an absolute success. And that's how we started with the limitation in the offshore collection. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think that can segue now into one of my favorite topics, which is time to give. So this was an auction that you hosted with Christie's in 2000 with Arnold, if I'm correct. Arnold and Mohamed Ali. Which is so iconic. Yeah, it's incredible. I heard the story from Francois, so yeah. it is quite crazy to tell, yeah. But yeah. the reason I'm bringing this up before you tell us the story is because I think we have end of days and then we have time to give. And this is really AP putting themselves on this kind of modern alignment with pop culture, right? Mm -hmm. You're like in the heart of celebrity. And you have to think of who was in charge of AP in the US at that time. Yeah, well. I don't remember. Yeah, do, do we know? <laughs> do we know who was responsible for this? Yeah, so you arrived in 99 with a bang. <laughs> yeah, but there was a story behind because yeah. in the year 2000, it was the 125th anniversary of the company. So we decided to make a collection of 125 unique watches. And when we showed this collection, we decided that there would be 10 cities that would host an exhibition with these 125 unique pieces. But New York was the last city. It was November. And I said, but when is this going to come to New York? We were not, again, the Audemars Piguet that we are today. Mm. Everybody would have heard about the watches or seen the watches. No one's going to show up. Yeah. So we won't get any press. It's going to cost us a fortune. So we need to change and look at it differently. And since I had a connection with Arnold, I called him and said, listen, Arnold, in the US, the charity component is extremely important. I know it's dear to you. So I've got an idea. I want 125 celebrities <laughs> okay, to wear our watches for a couple of weeks or months. Wow. We're going to loan them the watches, we're going to engrave the watch with their signatures, and then we'll auction them up. We say, are you insane? <laughs> you say, make it with 25. We eventually achieved 35 celebrities okay. that participated <laughs> to the auction. And the other thing is, he said, but under one condition, I'm going to chair your event if you get me Mohammed Ali. <laughs> I say, how do I do that? <laughs> I just barely arrived in the US. I'm a French guy, barely yeah. speaking English. I'm going to get Mohammed Ali the legend, he says, you do whatever you want. You get me Mohammed Ali and I'll do your thing. Wow, I had no idea. I got Mohammed Ali. Yeah. The second I got Mohammed Ali and then I had now Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mohammed Ali together. Yeah, oh, you were, you Every had, celebrity yeah. wanted to be a part of it. Okay, so it was the place to be. 
But I mean, I looked through this catalogue and if you think about 2000, I mean, it's every important celebrity, like Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, Mariah Carey. I mean, it's truly very of its time too, you know? Mm -hmm. So now AP, you're sort of in with Hollywood. You're really kind of getting this cultural clout. Then we have T3 in two... Which comes in a lot later, 2003. 2003. Mm -hmm. Yes. T3 is important because I think that had a bit of a ripple effect for you guys. You started to get sort of outside media interested in the watch space. It was kind of a little bit more mainstream. And of course, T3 was 48mm watch? 48mm and uh, 54 with the um, cover of the push pieces. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> here is a story again because... We talk about, so we made a watch with Arnold, which was the end of days, yeah. in the offshore collection. Yeah. Then we made a watch in a round case, which was called the six day, that we made only 50 pieces off, not an offshore, and then T3. T3, okay. So the first time, and he calls, he yeah. say, I want to wear a watch for my next Terminator movie. Say, Arnold, your machine, <laughs> your computer, you cannot wear a watch. Yeah. How do we put the watch in the movie without looking stupid? And we came up with the idea that he always shows up on Earth naked. And he's got to steal the clothes, the jacket, the pants, and the famous scene with the glasses. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we got to find a watch in the whole script. So the script is this. He arrives naked on Earth, goes to a bar, yeah. okay, steals the clothes from a guy, yeah. takes his car, and normally on the car's visors, yeah. he could have the keys. The guy didn't want to enter the bar with a watch, so the watch is there. Ah. So he's looking for the keys. Boom, the watch comes, he looks at it, yeah. and the computer is going to look at the time and his time, they match. And he says, full screen, accurate. For us, the best ever. That's, Except wow. that the second after, he looks at it and throws the watch <laughs> out, of the, out of the window because he doesn't need it anymore. <laughs> the watch was 20,000 US. They show me the scene and say, Arnold. <laughs> You cannot just dispose of the watch like this, say, we are not reshooting. Say, oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do, because there is no way, there is no way you can do this. <laughs> we ever change the scene. He looks at the watch, put it on the side, and he goes. Yeah. And that's a Terminator. Oh, wow. That's how we launched the watch. We were very scared about the size. Yeah. People say, we'll never get anybody buying a 48 millimeter watch. Yeah. We made a thousand of them, and the watch sold out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Insane. 48 millimeters is definitely a, a large size case. Okay, mm -hmm. so T3. And also we have to remember that T2 was like one of the biggest sci-fi movies of all time. Like mm -hmm. all eyes were on this T3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of the new technology with the morphing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was new, it yeah. was T3 yeah. and Michael Jackson yeah. in his videos. Yeah. yeah. It was a big time. You've got all these celebrities on your side. You're really in the middle of this kind of movie Hollywood situation. But then you decide to touch on hip hop. And for me, the kind of relationship with Jay-Z, when I think about AP, that's one of the most important touchstones. We met for the first time yeah. in 2001 okay. in New York City, okay. in the office. Yeah. We are blasting his music. Perfect. At that time, it was Jay with Damon Dash and Biggs. Yeah, They yeah. were the three together. Yeah. And on the first time we met, he told me that he had already 14 of our watches. Oh. And then he said, Francois, one day we're going to make a limited edition together. Oh. And in my mind, I say, good luck with that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> OK. But you said it silently. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. But then we became friends. Yeah. I was spending time in studios and we met several times, obviously. And slowly but surely, I got into this world of hip hop. Yeah. And I saw that hip hop was becoming so powerful that yeah. it would do what jazz did in the 1920s. Yeah. And it would go mainstream. So in 2004, I flew to Switzerland with yeah. a picture of Jay and Prince Charles and a picture of PDD and William Lauder from Estee Lauder when they launched their fragrance together. Yeah. And I said, listen, as shocking as it could sound, yeah. this is tomorrow. Mm. This world will come to our world. These cultures will cross yeah. and we need to do something. And if we do something, it has to be with him because he's the best out there. Yeah. I eventually got the green light to make a watch under two conditions. Only 100 watches and only sold in the US market, uh -huh. which, is, which was fine by me. Okay, you took it. It was good. For yeah. me, it was yeah. perfect. <laughs> okay. But there was a cute story. Yeah. At that time, what we wanted to do was on his 10th album, and we wanted to engrave on the back of the watches a title of one of his songs. Yeah. So every watch would be different yeah. and have a name of one of his songs. And the box would be very old style, parchment style, where you will have the lyrics and the music written with a font and pen. Yeah. And so every watch would be unique. Except that when we look at the name of the title of the songs, ah, there were okay. many words <laughs> that we would never engrave on the back of the watches. So then we decided to change and we called Apple. Yeah. Because Apple had made an iPod with U2 oh a little bit gosh, before. You're right. Which yeah. was a black and red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we called them, said, listen, guys, we are partnering with Jay-Z. Yeah. Would you make an iPod for us? We want to have a rose version, a blue version, and a white version to go with the watches. And they refused. So what we did, we still bought the iPods and we had customized aftermarket. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we engraved in the back of the iPod a quote yeah. from one of Jay's songs. I'm going to let you read it because I have my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... I'm so far ahead of my time. I'm about to start another life. Look behind you. I'm about to pass you twice. That's very Jay-Z. Which yeah. is bold. <laughs> yeah, it's bold. Now, two things. Press conference, 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. 100 journalists. With Jay, 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock, he showed up at 8.45, perfect. Wow, impeccable. The pitch was perfect. Yeah. That's the first time in the history of Audemars Piguet that we made the financial time. They spoke okay, about yeah. us because of that. There were 100 journalists and TV stations. Yeah. And I have to say it was perfect because there was a before that event and an after. Not only for the world of Audemars Piguet, not only for the world of watchmaking, but for the world of luxury. Mm. This is the very first time that hip hop and luxury came together. Yeah, mm, you have feeling. a good intuition. Yes. I mean, I think Jay-Z is important for your history because he opened up this kind of little niche into a wider space, attracted different kind of media attention. But it was also what I think is genius about Jay-Z. It wasn't just about him wearing a watch as a status symbol. He created a product with you guys. He created a culture. He created a moment, and that's huge. And that was in partnership with you. He was connected to the brand. And in the following month and years, we saw a complete new audience yeah. coming to us, a younger one, much yeah. younger, because yeah. Jay was talking about or showing his APs or talking about the AP in his songs. Oh, yeah. All and the then time. many other took from that. Yeah, he started yeah. to talk about AP. Beyonce did as well. Oh, my favorite upgrade you when she says, let me Audemars Piguet you. Yeah. Iconic. 
<laughs> so yeah, that definitely had an effect. Mm. So we've got all these limited editions. It keeps going. How many limited editions did you guys make in total? Do you even know the number? The answer is <laughs> many. <laughs> Maybe too many. Okay. Oh, yeah. I counted a few years ago, okay. far more than half of the offshore collection was in limited edition. Wow. We can admit we went maybe a little bit too far. A little far. too far? Yes. Okay. If we go back in the past, the thing is that we began with the offshore name. Mm. We deposited this name, but we didn't have the product. And we asked a young designer, Emmanuel Get, that was working in the firm, yeah. to region of vinyl a bit the royal oak. Rejuvenate, okay. He came with some designs that were quite out of what the people were thinking of. A watch that was oversized. Was, was he briefed on doing something oversized, no. or just he no. just came in he came full of with his idea. And in one of his idea was that he could see that the watches were quite small in the time. Yeah. He wanted the watch to be in the spirit. If the name offshore, it is the sports boat, it's the extreme. Yeah. The name itself is quite strong. And the idea was to have a watch that is outrageous. For people who like to jump off of cliffs. We can, we can see the first <laughs> drawings that uh, we have a watch that is really thick. And one of the first reaction of, uh, for example, Stephen Orquart, that was the head of the company at the time, said, wow, it's big. Okay. Because it was already very big, but we didn't have the dial because we didn't have the complication that we would put inside. And one of the first idea was to have a compass, actually. A which is quite cool. compass complication? Yeah, why not? If you're on a boat, why not? <laughs> we need this compass complication. But then, after the project is a bit forgotten, a bit on the side, and it comes back in 91, this time with a chronograph. Mm. I even have one version here with the leather band, so already thought to be declined yeah. with different colors too. And I even have a very cool one with a tryout of different logos and Royal Oak Offshore. Because at first it was the name Offshore that was protected. It was not made to be with Royal Oak. And in fact, the first hundred example of the Royal Oak Offshore don't have the engraving Offshore. Yeah, it's just, just Royal Oak. Yes. Which is why I asked you the question, was it just supposed to be a limited edition? No, but people were very concerned okay. about the success. Okay, okay. And if the yeah. watch would have not made a mark in a good way, it would have vanished somehow. Yeah. Yes. Into the uh, yes. ether. Yes, okay. probably. But when we came out with this watch, it was massive, but still also with a bracelet that was like the Royal Oak in the same system with those uh, blades which was also one of the concerns of the watch, because the watch is too heavy for right. those types of uh, clasps, and it was always a problem with the people then that would wear them. So we had to make it evolve. Yeah, I mean, I think it had quite a few different yeah. evolutions. And what is ironic is that this watch that was very masculine, the first declination in 96 is the ladies' version in 30 millimeters. Yeah, because Emmanuel Gate, the designer, said, yeah, that's a man's this. watch. But the good thing is yeah. that the very first evolution of the yeah, watch that yeah. we made was a ladies' version. So first version was in 30 millimeters. Yeah. Here I have an example that is just after with the quartz movement in 27. Raphael so knows how much I love this watch, by the way. <laughs> but it's quite cool to see one of the smallest Royal Oak Offshore that we made, 27. Uh, it's I like a baby think one. It's an, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to steal it from you <laughs> just to touch it and hold it. I love it. Because it's this whole idea of Emmanuel's idea of making a super manly watch. But So then is it thanks to Jacqueline Demier that we get the... I mean, the queen. 
Jacqueline was the boss. Yeah. She was boss the boss. lady. She's she the was boss in charge. Lady. Okay. Yes. Got it. And then it's the opening of the new collection of the mm. offshore mm. that was not named as a collection, it was still part of the Royal Oak collection, yeah. but then soon became a whole collection of itself. Another offshore that I absolutely love, which is kind of one of the B-side hits, I think, is the Lady Cat. When I first saw this watch in the museum, I think mm. my jaw fell to the floor because I was like, oh, they made a Barbie offshore? <laughs> <laughs> And I think, yeah, okay, it's pink and it has diamonds on it, but I still love it. I think it's very uncharacteristic of offshore. And it's also linked with the plunging of the, of the year 2000, with yeah. the declinations of the sailing yeah. world that we're also part of at that yeah. time with Alinghi. And this was also the inspiration, yeah, of this watch. Yeah, but she calls it the Barbie <laughs> offshore. Yeah. All this offshore collection was always linked to yeah. sports yeah. extreme. Yeah. And that's how we started the whole yeah. thing. No, of course. Barbie Offshore. Sorry, let's think about then Team Alinghi because that was quite important for Offshore. That was also one of the major part. I would say Offshore Collection develops in the year 2000. 2001, we have the introduction of the rubber right. version. That is actually a very cool one too, with yeah. the rubber strap and also rubber over the bezel. And this one is quite cool because it is a pink gold watch yeah. with a pink gold bezel that is covered. Oh my goodness. So you guys covered a gold bezel with yes. rubber? Because why not? No, 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 <laughs> okay. but there is a technical issue with this. Okay. To be able to call a watch gold, it has to be pretty much fully gold. And if you would have put actually, for example, stainless steel under or any other things, you couldn't call this a gold watch. So now that the bezel under is gold, even recovered with rubber, you could call this a gold watch. Quiet luxury. Yeah. <laughs> but this was changed also a lot because this was also a major success in the Royal Oak line. Huge. And uh, it was at some, in some years, in the year 2003, half of the offshore was from this reference in gold and steel. So very successful. And then we came out also uh, with the collaboration you were talking about Alinghi, yeah. the sailing. And this is exactly 2003, when they won the America's Cup. Collaboration began before, but the real image and impact that was huge, because no one was expected this uh, Swiss team to win. Win, win. win the America's Cup. And didn't yeah. you guys have the logo on the dial? Yes. Which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it was one of the first and only time, I think, that... Uh, first, very first time, because we never wanted to put logos on our dials. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. But you told me a great story, Francois, about this Alinghi March AP situation. So Alinghi wins the America's Cup, and we release a limited edition of a dual time offshore, so. yes, with the Alinghi logo. And we had ordered from the Alinghi world a sailor's bag, if you want, that was written at Audemars Piguet. And we were buying that bag for, I would say, 20 or 30 bucks at that time. <laughs> I don't even remember. And we decided to give to every watch also to the thousand buyers that bag. Okay. But that bag was only available if you were buying the watch. Okay. The watch was selling for 23,000 US. And we got people that bought the watch set because they wanted the bag. 
And that's a true story. <laughs> because you could get the bag from Alinghi, but yeah. not with the Audemars Piguet logo. Wow. They wanted the Audemars Piguet logo, buy the watch. So they were all about merch back in the day, way before. They liked the hype culture of the uh, Audemars Piguet bag. That's the cool. genesis of merch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, there are all kinds of limited editions. What are some of your kind of most memorable, aside from the ones we've spoken about, obviously? But I was wanting, we just mentioned it. Huh? Shack, yeah. The Shack. Oh, 48 millimeters. Cool. This is the white gold version, so quite heavy. With the yeah, because T3 was in titanium. Huh? Yeah. Ah, okay. okay. So to launch the same size but in white gold. You got to be strong. To yes. Carry that. Yeah, you have to measure two meters. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Would say. But, and it's all in the details. Like here, most people don't see at first that uh. there is an inversion of the numbers to match the number of Shaq. Yeah, oh, so the two and three are inverted yeah. on the dial. And their gem set as well, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. We love gem set watches. And that started also the whole thing and say, oh, that's actually cool to put diamonds on these sport watches. Yeah. Because diamonds were only made for ladies' watches yeah. are very exceptional things. Yeah. No, suddenly it was making these diamond watches a sort of new norm. Yeah. That's why it started. You're full of stories, mm. and I cannot wait for your AP Offshore Chronicle. Because I think the offshore story is not told as much, and I think there are so many limited editions that people don't know. We discover everyday new things because, actually, a few years ago, yeah. we thought we knew everything about the history of the offshore. And what I just told you before, we just discovered. Okay, so we're <laughs> so, all learning today. Yeah. Right? Okay. I know, but hey, <laughs> what we did one month ago, at the convention where we take all our employees. I discovered that in 1986, so the offshore was far from being yeah, born yeah. yet, the offshore name was not even protected. We are sponsoring speedboat races, so offshore races in Monaco. And we are giving to the best looking guy an Audemars Piguet watch. <laughs> It was Mr. Audemars Piguet. No way. 1986. Yes. Mr. Audemars Piguet. Yes, we in found the press reviews in, in Saint-Tropez. Saint Guys, come on. Where's the photo evidence? <laughs> I, I have the article. Uh, Is there the article? Yeah. Okay. And actually, there was the boat with the logo of Audemars Piguet. That was the speedboat uh, race. Yeah. Okay. That was uh, Monaco Saint-Tropez. So this offshore boat wow. was already having the Audemars Piguet logo in it. Yeah. So it was meant to be. Okay, so it's looking like there are too many stories for us to tell all in one sitting today. But I want to finish off with a final story from both of you. So Raphael, favorite offshore story? Uh, everything that we heard now and the thing that uh, we were so strong in the partnerships with some characters like Arnold Schwarzenegger that sticked also to our brand and its history. Seeing this history of the offshore with all the different models and uh, things that we played in this is really amazing and really entertaining to see that uh, we came from this classical world to really use it as a playground, to really open to many different aspects of culture. And if I might quote Francois that is here, the best is yet to come. He's quoting me. How big is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, Francois, go. I'm not going to look back. I want always to look forward. Yeah. And the only thing I can say is, we are far from being done writing beautiful story with the offshore collection. Keep your eyes open. Okay, eyes peeled. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of AP Talks podcast. We hope you enjoyed discovering more about the Royal Oak Offshore and its unconventional journey that started 30 years ago. If you'd like to learn more, head over to AP Talks video playlist available on our YouTube channel and the AP Chronicles website. We're looking forward to exploring new topics around fine watchmaking heritage and culture with you through our AP Talks in the next few months.